0: Jerome, good to see you, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm so curious about your, uh, your shows down in Mexico and Mexico City. That's one of my uh, recently discovered favorite cities of all time. I'm just obsessed with it, and I, I believe you have Mexican lineage, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. You just uh, apparently, a lot of people have an interest in Mexico City these days. The yeah. Day I, what is that? The day I got back um, from Mexico City, there was an article in the LA Times about the gentrification. Of Mexico City all these um, <clears throat> Europeans and Americans going down there because of the um, just the, um, the lower rate of living cost of living and uh, just because it's also beautiful and cultural and like uh, nice uh, environment so there've been a lot of people going down there and uh, I guess there's like a now a gentrification problem down there that we're bringing from from uh, from the states
0: damn uh, have you been playing down there for for years or is that a new? kind of a new territory for touring for you
1: no i played there once um in 2000 uh what was it nine seven eight i can't remember now um it was a while ago and um yeah let me see here one second there we go and um that was the last time i'd been there 2007 yeah uh and it was awesome it was great it's just like uh really the fans are really warm and exciting and just they they like they love music this is like pre-internet boom like the internet was happening obviously but yeah not to this level so the thing i remember because I, I grew up going to mexico as a child every every year every summer for two months from like age of um you know when i was born until like 15 16. and i just remember everything being really late over there a couple years three four years cultural things yeah. you know and um, mm-hmm. and uh, so in 2008, they're catching up a little bit because of the Internet. MySpace, I'm sure, was popping still at that point. But uh, this time around, I mean, everything's just, like, caught up. Everyone's dialed in. They have a very eclectic uh, uh, listening audience. It's, like, uh, a lot of everything. They love international music. They love American music. So it was a great experience. Uh, I'm, I, wanna, I, I did that just so I can kind of make some friends down there again and, and keep coming down there every year
0: yeah no i i feel i feel that so much um i saw you played at uh, the roma record shop i've been there been there a few times yeah. so did they just pack what they pack like 50 people in the in the little shop and run a pa how does it how did it work
1: no there's no pa we did it really old school like just, just, luckily it was uh like my, my um my guitar player and i we just planned you know as a two-piece acoustic shows and so we were able to just post up anywhere and that's kind of what we did we just got in the corner and then like squeezed in and uh it was cool. Really old school. Just uh, playing with no microphone to uh, with our guitars and singing, you know, um, together in harmony and uh, yeah, people were just crammed in there. So it was really fun. But, yeah, it's a super tiny place. I really I didn't know what to expect and so it was funny just walk in and like, wait, where's <laughs> where are we gonna set up? Yeah,
0: yeah. No, I, I that's re- that's really neat. I think um it's co- really cool to shake up kind of your your shows and play out of the country i i like to call it adventure touring you know because you, you know you do your usual spots in the states and you you hit the spots you know will do okay and uh but i think you need a nice wake-up call and uh, go to go to go to a faraway land to get challenged in a new way and tell jokes in a different language or whatever it may be um but yeah. from what i understand um you had a band I don't know, ten years ago and you guys were kind of on the on the rocket ship a little bit. You were playing We were playing like Lollapalooza at some of the big festivals in Coachella? And it seems like you've kind of like done that route and then you've got a very DIY ethos to you. I know you do, I think, all your own recording, um, in that DIY ethic. Has that has that been more exciting to kind of Put together your own shows your own tours just be able to go to mexico without asking the label or the agent um, what do you prefer what do you how do you feel about that
1: oh well you know they all have their benefit they both have their benefits obviously like the thing is we we were never like a mainstream band but we had a mainstream booking agent and uh so he was the, definitely the one that hooked us up with all these nice little festivals and so we got to see things on the mar- on the margins on the outside a little bit without getting caught up too much in the the bad stuff, but, um, so that was great on that end because he was cool, really cool dude, um, you know, had all the relationships you need, all this business is all about relationships, so it's something either you have people do for you or you can do yourself, and at, at, at one point, like, I knew people, I've just, from playing around and meeting people, and so when you can start doing it yourself, it's, you know, a little more control, I'm a bit of a micromanager, so that was, um, you know, definitely something I could. Uh, I wanted to kind of handle myself. I, I would love the help of, of a nice booking agent every now and again. But it is this freedom to be able to play when you want, where you want. You know, no, you don't have to worry about oversaturating yourself in certain markets and other stuff that booking agents think about. You know. But um, this time around, um, I'm on a label now, Danger Bird. They're really they're supportive. They're like great because they let me be me. They let me make the decisions, and if I have ideas, they help me helped me out with them so like they they, they they helped pay a little bit for the mexico trip and and made that way easier for me and so um support is always great but i am a diy guy at first because there wasn't anybody throwing money at me you know it's like you gotta you gotta make shit happen sure or it's gonna happen um but at the same time i do admit i'm a micromanager so they kind of both work for me
0: have you had a point where you can think of where that kind of blew up on you where you uh, were managing a band was just too much and you it kind of fell apart at the seams
1: I mean uh, I mean I've only obviously managed myself I've been offered to manage other bands later in life which was interesting thinking about it now um, I just uh, there are moments you just get overwhelmed I mean I'm, I'm also a musician and art, artist and I wish sometimes I could just focus on that part you know but doing the emails doing the contacts follow-ups, all the office stuff that you know when you're on a label you don't realize this is the stuff they're doing they're doing all the the legwork for this thing and making it happen and it could be draining to try to do both so nothing's ever ex- like gone horribly wrong for me in any these, these instances but you do feel like yeah. extra stress I'm trying to do you, it all
0: do you enjoy the business side of music is there i know i mean obviously you're a you're a great producer and an engineer and a writer but uh is there something about the administrative side that you enjoy being kind of a more diy fella?
1: i mean i guess i do because i complain about it but i do like being in control of my own shit in my own my own world and like actually knowing how things operate you know learning the process learning the business i mean you know people don't like to commodify their art or like or, or, just say it's a spiritual thing, and I don't need to make money from it. But the reality is, I need to pay rent and uh, live in this world right now. So, until you know, I could find uh, an art sponsor, a, a Medici or something. Um, mm-hmm. Then we got to figure out how to do it ourselves. And especially nowadays, more, more than ever, artists um, kind of have to do their own thing. Label, label support, A and R stuff is not what it used to be. And, <clears throat> and it's actually still. I think it's important to be able to own your own stuff and know how your how your business it's a business i mean you maybe people don't want to call it a business but it's a business and it's fine i'd rather be in business for myself doing yeah. my music than working for somebody else about not being happy with so um have I've you been fired for
0: many jobs
1: <laughs> yeah i've only been fired for one job and i was i uh, worked at mccabe's in santa monica um guitar shop super famous guitar shop everybody used to go there tom petty Mm-hmm. uh george harrison famously went in there bought like a bunch of ukuleles for people um and like, me and my brother were working there we got fired for playing uh, all the instruments too much instead of helping customers but our, <laughs> yeah my, my my thing was like how are they going to hear what the sounds like if they don't know you know they're not picking it up and playing it might as well give them a little soundtrack so Oh, that's yeah, only- <laughs> especially if
0: uh, you're a man who plays well, you know how to dial in tone. Like, think about all the times you've been to music shops where some guy is just blasting your head off at volume 11 and, you know, can't can't yeah. really play. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty brutal.
1: No, we were just playing Neil Young songs in the little small... Well, the thing is, we were usually in the expensive guitar room, so I was away from most of the other customers. So, obviously, there was reason for us to be fired, I'm not going to lie, but that's the only time, yeah. yeah.
0: A co-firing? Did that bond you together closer with your
1: brother? Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, we were in a band together at that point already, I'm sure, and, like, we lived together, because this is Santa Monica, I remember we lived together, and, yeah, we got fired together, and uh, he just had a little baby (laughs) girl, like, uh, a couple weeks ago, so now I'm an uncle, so, yeah. Hell yeah,
0: man, that's awesome yeah yeah it's always amazing it's amazing i'm always envious of bands that have brother power when the, when you have a brother in your band you know it's uh it's a mm. magical thing i don't think my brother ever uh I, I only remember him having a few uh cds one of them was 50 cent and the other one was i think eve six mm-hmm. if you if you remember that one right but, uh,
1: so you had I a also- little different thing going on
0: yeah, he's he's a he's like a basket he was like a basketball hero in the state of Wisconsin. Now he's coaching he's coaching basketball in the Czech Republic. I'm gonna go see him in two weeks. That's amazing. Wow. I'm a
1: big basketball fan. Actually that's another bomb oh, me my brilliant. brother have. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: LA Lakers. Of what? course. We grew up in yeah. Hawthorne, which is like right next door to Inglewood, so five minutes from the forum, you know? So oh, yeah, grew, and I grew up in the eighties as a kid, and obviously that's when the Lakers were kicking butt. So it was easy to really obviously fall in love with that team. But, yeah, big basketball Who are your fans.
0: heroes on that team?
1: I mean, oh, Magic, Kareem, Worthy, I mean, Byron Scott. And all yeah, all of them were just it was always like... Oh, we got spoiled, spoiled in L.A. as a kid. Really good basketball team. Dodgers won in 88. And so, you know, it was a cool football... Uh, sports town for a little while. So that's one of our bonds, too, me and my brother.
0: Yeah, what was it like g- going to a-, a game at the Forum versus the Staples Center? Because I know yeah the same thing in Milwaukee, those old arenas that were built in like the 50s, the 60s like there's something to them where like the lighting was really dim like the the, mm. the crowd was all darkened but then the the, the floor was lit mm. up really gloomy. I remember even watching footage of Madison Square Garden where people could smoke cigars mm. during the, like crazy shit you know what was what was it like going to a game at the Forum in LA a classic? Uh,
1: you know what I don't think I've seen the Lakers at the Forum. I saw the Globetrotters, for sure. I don't think I ever went to a Lakers game at the Forum, so I'm not really sure. But I do see old photos of it, and yeah, the the everybody else was dark, and the 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 court was lit up. But I also thought that Jerry Buss came up with that because he wanted the Lakers to be the show, the showtime, you know. So they wanted to make you feel like you're at a show, so the audience lights would all go down. And the spotlight would be on the players, you know. Yeah, it's like but, a good stage. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I've been to uh, I've been to Staples or now Crypto whatever, and um, but only the nosebleeds, and it's fine. You know, you could see everything fine. It's all good. It's weird when you don't hear the announcers on the TV, but um, the intimacy of the forum was obviously cool. But you know, when you're a huge sports franchise, it's just not gonna it's not gonna last.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm a Milwaukee guy, so I go see mm. the Bucks a few times a year, and. Um, the Bucks yeah very lucky because they've been shit my whole life Mm -hmm. Um, and the new these new owners Mm -hmm. took over and uh, it's Mm -hmm. crazy the difference going to a game now where Mm -hmm. you know in m- most ways, it's better, but everything is commodified. So there's not a moment in the game where you're not being sold a credit card, right. uh, pizza discount from Papa John's, Chase Bank signer upper, and it's lo- It's like it's sensory overload, man. It's pretty wild.
1: Anywhere there's money making, the advertisers come in, man. That's all. That's that's what it is. In music, I'm in a, I'm in a. Um, um, Union, musicians union and we're dealing with a lot of things regarding spotify and like live nation and all this other stuff and it's always advertisers that mess things up for things i'm telling you like they, they ruin experiences but uh you know uh crypto now that they put the crypto thing on and they actually start doing some branding on the logos i mean on the um uniforms that's when it's going to get a little sadder for me because i always liked the iconic jersey <laughs> the cities were cool milwaukee's was cool obviously i mean I used to love the Milwaukee colors, actually, for their uniforms. Um, but yeah, everything's a little bit different now.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, tell me about that. I'll, I'll, I'll sign up for your reunion, Uh Spotify. <laughs> tell me more. Like, what is there? Do musicians have a chance, kind of, to get better payouts from Spotify? Because some days it just feels unwinnable to me.
1: Of course. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the whole thing. It is. It, it's daunting. I'm not going to lie. It probably will be daunting, but it's also very possible i mean it's just another labor issue collective force will really can win out you know but we would need all musicians to or a lot of musicians to kind of like hop on and 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 help with the fight but um it's you know we're doing stuff right now that's like basically trying to make uh maybe aware of the issue itself people don't really know how how poorly musicians get paid and obviously this past pandemic really brought that to light for a lot of people in bands who make who were even like just middle middle class bands lower middle class bands whatever they're doing like not necessarily huge bands but it affected everybody and working class musicians and there's no safety nets that other kind of like jobs have so uh you know it was sort of needed to kind of come together and figure out what can we do to make this better for people that are very important culturally for this for this you know country for this world and who were deeply leaned on um emotionally during the pandemic you can see how people were just like going to Netflix and Spotify and listening to music more than ever I think Spotify's uh it's valuation tripled uh wow. during that time like it got super popular and so like um you know there needs to be a way to like just recompense compensate the musicians properly there's a lot of money being made that the musicians aren't getting and musicians are as you can see from the live stuff happening now too with Ticketmaster there's like there's it's getting harder and harder to be in a band and play music and you know. I think people romanticize. Why don't romanticize the whole? You're supposed to struggle with your art and do this and that. But yeah, but work work is work. You know, music is labor too, and someone's making a lot of money on it, but it's right. not the musicians. So a like, tale okay. as
0: old as time, Joel Jerome.
1: <laughs> Tell me about it. But you know, there's things we're doing. We're like uh, beyond trying to like organize and actually keep people involved and, and, and aware. We're like, uh, you know, we have subcommittees and we're working on stuff, uh, legislation. We actually have a. Something working with uh, Rashida Talib right now. um, Possible legislation with uh, for a streaming royalty, a new streaming royalty that would uh, pay out musicians a little more. Um, You know, a few other things on the burner. I'm not really at liberty to talk about because we're not really there yet with it. But there's things that we can do, and uh, we're we're looking into all of it and trying to get as much support as we can from other musicians and people that are just music lovers. And it's not just for musicians; like uh, the organization also deals with uh, music workers. So if you work at a venue at a label. You know, if you're a studio engineer or something, um, we want to be able to like address a lot of different problems. So we're trying to like basically call anybody who feels like they want to learn more or or help or do something. um, We're trying to do that. And so Yuma, um Union Musicians uh, and Allied Workers are um what's are working hard at it right now.
0: What's the organiza- organization? The Union called?
1: of Musicians and Allied Workers.
0: Okay, I'll dude. I'll sign up. Put me on your email list, please. Sure, I'll send
1: you. Yeah, for sure for sure.
0: Yeah. Do you think the U.S. government would ever acknowledge uh, being a musician as a real job?
1: I think so. I mean, I think people will need to eventually. It's always been one of those things where it's, uh, yeah, super devalued. Art in general. I mean, people, when you tell your parents you're going to be an artist, it's like you're supposed to be like upset at that, you know, or like a musician that's not supposed to be something you're um <laughs> they proud of. But that should change because the thing, I mean, the number one thing for me is like if you see a lot of people, a lot of uh, executives making money on something that the people who are creating it don't aren't making money on, it's like there's something wrong there. And so there is like value to being a musician.
0: That's a great point.
1: And um, and it's there. Spotify is not buying billions dollars dollars worth of real estate in L.A with like no like no money there's there's like valuation there's a you know the data mining there's a bunch of stuff that there's like making money on the musicians aren't getting anything from and whose work is actually driving all that attention so um you know it's a it's it's i just kind of like i personally joined because during the pandemic it really did hit me as a musician as a producer and yeah. engineer there's like no safety net this is before um yeah. we had social i mean we had the. um uh, pandemic relief like uh, assistance uh, uh for artists or for freelance workers or whatever it was before all that like we were like what are we going to do we don't we don't qualify for for these things we don't qualify for um for, for certain benefits that other jobs do and that's just like it didn't seem right so i was like there has to be something i can do besides complain about it and luckily yeah. Yeah, I saw a post, the UMA post um, on Instagram, maybe or Twitter, and about music, you know forming a musicians union and trying to deal with some of these things. And I said, well, I got to be more proactive. Let me just not just complain about it, but really have the time to do something. Respect,
0: about it now. man. Well, hey, I mean, for lack of a better term, thanks for laying down on the barbed wire for everybody or <laughs> the grenade or whatever you yeah. want to call it. That's uh, that's amazing. Um, and I, you know, tell me what you think about this. I feel like. We're maybe just entering this this early infancy of musicians starting to take control of, like, having a business savvy. Whereas, like, for as long as I can remember, as anyone I've ever talked to, it's just a cliche narrative that musicians suck at business. You know, they get... It's a classic tale as old as time. Ah, the label fucked us. Oh, the manager stole all the money. Oh, no. Well... I mean let's let's have some gusto and like learn a little bit about the business side and i feel like that was very i know 10 years ago when i started touring and playing i know i remember it was very very uncool to be interested and or good at music business if you were a musician who was hustling and interested in the business side the hipsters fucking hated like they hated that that was like not a cool thing you should just be an artist but now i feel like the the tide has turned a bit and you know, the DIY kind of hustle sort of ethic is like also in its infancy, infancy of getting lots of respect, you know. I feel like now the industry is finally like, oh, you're doing this on your own steam. I respect that versus maybe the old ideology is that, oh, you're doing this on your own steam because you're not good and no one else wants to work with you.
1: Right. And, and you know and i and like i said i think the also the model the way the um, record industry works now the a and r thing is isn't doesn't happen anymore there's no more artist development so yeah um the people like people have to start doing things themselves anyways uh that's still my like one my my personal um uh, experience has been like uh you know you just have to learn to do it because you no one's going to get well no one might do it for you either so you got to kind of like learn how to swim on your own but um I think it's it's great though that at least people now are aware. was a little easier to be more aware about how your business works, so that you should be more in control of it. That narrative is way more out there for artists to know. It's not just like okay, just let you know sign some shitty deal. People now know, get your any anything you're ever going to sign, make sure a lawyer looks at it, and not a lawyer that yeah. the person's making you sign it wants you to look at. You know, so yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. Every time I see an old movie, like I just I just saw Elvis, and obviously he got screwed financially by his by his, by his, by his manager. If there's always another cool message for like for a movie like let's say uh, the James Brown movie where like he actually took control of his career early on and he like he bought out his manager basically and like um you know showed you that you can do it yourself and it's and it's it's possible but I think now more than anything the the lack of financial support from labels in the music industry is what's driving people to have to do it themselves or it's not going to get done so it kind of weeds people out really like people that want to just do it for themselves cool go ahead and do it have people that want to do that and somehow make money on it so they can do more of it then that's what they're trying to do and that's what i'm trying to do
0: that's awesome man it's cool to hear you say these things because i get i get very stimulated and inspired to hear other bands out there who kind of um give a shit about this side of of music Mm -hmm. you know and like learning how to advance your career or take back control of your career or manage your band or just like I mean, anything to move the needle, man. It's all, it seems like quite the game of inches these days. Yeah. You know, I've never been on the inside or of the Spotify algorithm or, or, mm-hmm. you know, caught any, um, any, any seat on the rocket ship of grand super success, but I've always been able to like kind of just slowly move the needle a little bit and, you know, every year um, where things are going in the right direction and at least things are moving in forward progress and forward motion rather than going in reverse. And I think that's, I mean, I don't need large victories to stay motivated as long as i as long as there's some tiny victories coming in and i think they're almost always are for for anybody depending on how you look at it um that's uh that's incentive enough to to keep the carrot dangling and and keep going <laughs> yeah. so um, well, are yeah. you at a point yeah you go go ahead
1: oh no no i was gonna say um i, I agree with that totally it's like um i also still stress though like we are living in a reality where people make money and do things so i can also see the frustration of like people not, uh, you know, maybe, maybe maybe, being as successful as they, they'd like to be and for whatever reasons, for not having the proper support and not really being able to put the time in to be your own business too. I, I can totally understand that part because I luckily am also recording bands and an engineer. So there's stuff I do for money that helps me then yeah. focus on my stuff as a thing or I'd have to get like a, another job. And then how much energy could I really put into my own music yeah. anymore? It's, it's big, it is a big always a conundrum for creative people's like i need to make money but i also would love to do this you know and i'd love to do make money while doing this but sometimes you gotta like and it's a huge it's a huge balancing act so i really feel for everybody and I, you know i support everybody
0: yeah i mean i think too when you're trying to do music or arts full-time it's like you need to find that job that's gonna make you the most money in the least amount of time. Well there you even is. if it's even Write if that it's book miserable. To figure that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And me know. Uh, and and do that until you, you stash a little bit of cash. But I you know, I, I don't I don't think the move is just to quit everything um cold turkey because it's it's almost impossible to do music with no money you know no
1: and i think i think the other thing for creatives who have to work it's mostly like gig work it's mostly temperature temp stuff so it's kind of you know you're always living like paycheck to paycheck or like job to job or whatever and uh i i feel it's like um, it's not just people that have can get jobs and say you can get a nice you know part-time job that lets you tour yeah. that's that'd be amazing but that's not everywhere um at all so i most people that are creative now and, and are working are usually doing work that's temporary and this and that it's just all a big bouncing act you know but uh, what
0: was your weirdest odd job
1: um weirdest it wasn't was it weird i guess it was a little weird but not really i was a messenger i was a not a messenger i was a a stand-in messenger for the messenger of this business management company so I would go in and to this office first and only office job, but I was like the outside guy, the runner. So I'd have to really be the office in the office attire. And I would just basically run checks to banks or to people's houses, like famous people's houses from this. um, You know, so I've been to like Liz Taylor's house and like, you know, patted down by like Israeli guards. And then like, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. So, um, you know, like met Don Misher, who's approved, used to be the producer of the Super Bowl and the Grammys. And, and went to his office a whole lot and i was really struck by him because um super powerful dude that just knows everybody like the producer of the grammys and the, and, and the oscars it's yeah. like a big thing and like he met me once and he knew my name like immediately every time i've seen him like every few months or whatever six wow. months he would always know my name and like know things about me so i was pretty i was pretty struck by that but um you know the little brush of weird music business entertainment business celebrity is always a weird little world so the fact that i had that little outside. In, in into people's houses and then big <laughs> accounts and stuff like that delivering them house money was always a little interesting so that would happen every whenever the guy would want to go on vacation for like a couple of weeks he'd like call me up so they like Unreal. six months eight months paid oh, good great um office vibes which was interesting to have for like two weeks but then like be able to split you know yeah and then uh yeah and then just going to those taylor's houses and barry gordy's office and you know interesting stuff
0: who's the weirdest celebrity uh, you ever met growing up in la
1: Weirdest? I don't know weirdest. The first one I ever met though was Gene Wilder at lunch with my mom. Vague, vague, vague memory because I was like eight, six, seven, something really small. But I remember this like weird looking white dude with like curly hair, super curly hair at this lunch, and uh, years later my mom told me his name is Gene Wilder, and so that was a pretty cool time. Because oh, so
0: she was pals with him?
1: She was pals with the guy who was pals with him, so we, like, a 4 okay. of them went out to lunch, plus me. Nice. Um, and that was my first one, uh, my first experience. The weirdest one was probably Morrissey, but it's not because we met. It's because, well, I played a show with him and, at the Wiltern. He asked us, Dios, to, to open up um, five shows at the Wiltern, but we were in the UK for four of them. Mm -hmm. but he still wanted us to play so we played the first one the first night and then the last the next three nights are done four nights are done by the killers so the killers can thank me for their career nice because i think without that morrissey gig the killers wouldn't be who they are today but anyway you're a music
0: business (laughs) genius
1: but uh anyway so yeah we uh opened up for morrissey and i remember like at the Wiltern and just pulling up the sound check which is like a three there's already a line like around the whole place all these mexican kids everywhere it's like Filipino you know mexican kids love morrissey and um at already five years lined up ready to go so i was kind of nervous about it anyways through our set like halfway through our set my mom's in the in the audience too by the way so i think the first show i invited her to to make it seem like these are the shows that we play you know the little, <laughs> little normal show um and uh halfway through our set um i just i was probably a little drunk at that point and a little nervous i was like um i love you know thankful to be playing the show big morrissey fan i lost my virginity to a morrissey song you know the whole crowd goes nice perfect Mm -hmm. like pandering that's great and uh and then during morrissey set nobody was allowed on the side of the stage and i don't want to be in the audience so i heard it from the dressing room because they had like speakers and like midway through his set he's like i also would like to say that i lost my virginity to a morrissey song as well so I was like, oh, cool. Did that get laughs? Oh, yeah, plenty of laughs. Yeah, and then in, the, nice. in, the, in, the, in, the, in what we're listening to, we're all like freaking out. It's like, oh, shit, he actually heard our show. Yeah, like, we just figured Dude. he wasn't even paying attention. And the fact that. Yeah, that's
0: that he, always, It's an honor.
1: Yeah, in fact, well, at the time it was pretty cool. Like, oh, okay, he was listening. And, and he I and mean, he heard that part too, because that was the true story for me.
0: <laughs> it's very rare the headliner will watch the opening band for a multitude of
1: reasons. I mean, yeah. they can't
0: really be hanging out you know in the crowd because they'll get they'll get annoyed but uh that's, yeah, so that's cool uh, yeah that's the fact cool. that he
1: even was listening was like i was i was surprised i just didn't expect it i, I remember he didn't let us have uh meat on our deli trays. so nice you know i figured he was a little bit uh in his own world and wouldn't be paying attention so that was interesting that was probably one yeah. of the weirder interactions that wasn't really an interaction but sort of was
0: we did a tour with nada surf over the summer and they watched they watched our show almost every night and i i i think it was i mean obviously to be polite too but i think they're just like really curious like they just love live music you know and i, I can think of almost every bigger band or 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 our musical elders that we've toured with and they almost never wa- watched our uh, our show so that was really uh it was really cool and uh it, uh it, it kind of inspired me when I got home to Milwaukee to start going back out to shows more and see who's who's coming up and young in the local scene because I've been so out of the loop and it's uh I, I do I feel a bit of a void of, of community after being on the road so much for the past 10 years so I need I need some more buddies need some more buddies in my life.
1: Yeah, I'm telling you like I, I haven't been touring much myself, but I play a lot around the LA and I, because I record so many bands, I've met a lot of folks that way so yeah. a lot of like and it's cool school because uh kind of like matthew mcconaughey but in a good way i get older but they stay the same, they stay the same age so i get all these like right. cool like new kids who show me all this cool stuff all the time and uh and get to learn about new music that way i i highly recommend just like yeah getting involved in the community music scene because there's always interesting stuff happening and the, the '90s are definitely back right now with some of these kids too, which is
0: oh, thank God, man, that's my jam. So it's uh, relieved to hear you say that. It's so important to have young friends, you know have have some twenty year old buddies to, to tell you yeah. what's up. I with mean, boundaries find
1: uh, you, but yes, for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and it's it's just so easy to uh, to become like a, the the cliche like old fart like ah, there's no good new music coming out. You know, back in you know back in my day. You know, going go like um, full classic Red Foreman with it, but uh, yeah, yeah, man,
1: and that's the thing. I, I get I a lot of friends that are like that, but I don't know, like you know, like you said, you and your brother listen to different stuff. I listen to both both kind of worlds. I was like into rap, in the rock, in the in the indie stuff. I was into like I don't know stoner metal. I was into like a lot of different things, and so like um, it just never stopped me from uh, from being able to enjoy all that stuff. But uh, what um, but uh sorry i lost my train of thought here because my dog's barking it's like um,
0: oh it's all good man i mean i want to make a make some recordings with you someday what's your studio called right now
1: i guess i guess it's still knows it will be psychedelic so thrift store okay um, what neighborhood is it in glass hill park so it's like glass uh, hill park Glassell. Glassell okay. park yeah it's um right across the street from these three studios actually um rob schnaff studio um oh he's, legend he's uh, yeah as you know he's a legend King size in this other place uh the ship by aaron spinoso used to be the band called early mark old friends um with them him and granddaddy the little crew in yeah nineties. Sure, sure. that was our first tour with granddaddy nice. so they're across the street it's turned into a rock block and apparently you know speaking of gentrification in mexico city it's happening i mean i got kicked out of my studio um five years ago because they bought the building and wanted to triple my rent and no no one's been in there since like they still can't write it out but back apparently is moving down the street into some big building that's just what i've heard. so it's turning into a rock block my little garage is like the little uh, satellite rock rock place
0: man that's cool have you do you play the drums on your own records as well or just the guitars and the vocals
1: it depends on the song but a lot of times yeah on this past record of mine i think i did all of the drums except for one thing. But yeah, normally I do a lot of it. It depends on, the, on what it is, the project.
0: Okay, brilliant. Yeah. Um, so tell me about, uh, I know you've, you've kind of slowed down on the touring stuff and, uh, you went to mexico city earlier in the year have you have you done any other like pretty kind of far out or strange places where music has taken you
1: besides like the depths of canada and like that crazy drive across that weird ass country because there's just nothing forever Uh, and it's just been the uk um except mexico and the u.s so far but uh um yeah, it was. It just slowed down back in the day because of we were between just band members and just the business itself. And I just had other ideas. And and also, also I just got older. It's like, it's not easy to be crashing on floors anymore and like being in bands for ten hours when you're not in your third twenties, you know. So once you're in your thirties and your forties, it's like you definitely slow down. And um, I honestly, it's like that Brian Wilson thing. He wanted to record. He wanted to send the band out. I actually prefer being in the studio, I think, than to playing live. I love playing live you know when i can just do it for fun and not put pressure myself but uh like in a garage with some buddies i love that you know but on stage it's a little different for me like i have a good time but it's not as fun as just being in the studio so i just gravitated towards that and went there instead of uh you know touring all the time so i haven't been to too many far off places but like i said i've been playing with a friend of mine we do like a two acoustic thing and so um we do that so we can kind of just hop on a plane and go anywhere our plan next year is to like Mm -hmm. do latin american countries we wanted to start mexico and we did that we had a great time we saved good money because you know to figure out how to do this financially now that nowadays too yeah and so like we saved money we still sounded great and uh he's a good travel buddy we get each other we're all good and we want to be able to like he's a surfer so he's got a really cool like mellow mentality just like goes with the Mm -hmm. flow can adjust the things on the fly and he doesn't complain And so, yeah, we want to get down to Latin America as the next one. Mexico City was a big deal for me because I just, there's no reason why I shouldn't. Speaking of like just, you know, as your business, it's like my peoples are down there and like I want to be down there more often and they love music. So, why am I not taking my music over there somewhere, you know?
0: Oh, so that was like,
1: I had to do that no matter what. So, I put, I hastily put something together just to tip my toes in and it was great. So, next year, more Mexico, more Latin American countries. We want to do anything like kind of foreign like just go out there as a, as a yeah and there it
0: is ad- adventure touring man mm-hmm. i mean yeah i'm right there with you the the latin america stuff fascinates me so much um there's just just a jive in the air i've got a buddy um Hasue, he plays in a band called kill aniston out of mexico city mm-hmm. but he just got done with like a 30 date tour of uh colombia mm-hmm. peru Amazing. um I, th- I think they did brazil they did like four dates in chile like pretty diy shit mm-hmm. but um so if you want any intel i'm 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 gonna phone her with him next week and uh, i'm sure he'll give me the lowdown on what was worth doing and what oh, and what it, was Al. stinky yeah, yeah so just if, if, when you want to put it together i'll connect you with him and cool. uh, he is like he is like the ultimate lay on the grenade guy and i, <laughs> I say that with like the highest respect you know he just the man has an iron nutsack <laughs>
1: like that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That's definitely a big goal of mine. Before anywhere else, I want to, I want to explore Latin America, and so that seems doable. But yeah, that would be great to get some info, info on that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to to get back down to uh, to Mexico City. Um, we're, we're looking at actually doing some things there in May. Um, did you get outside of the city? Did you play any more kind of rural obscure places or just you just stuck around Rome and stuff yeah
1: no we stuck around the area we had other things planned for a little a longer trip but it was just too soon to try to do all that yeah. it, was, it was a really hastily planned trip Like we just did it because it was like a quick opportunity a, a friend down there had their record just come out They're playing some shows and we we're just like well let's hop on to those shows basically you know who's um, that uh my friend marion raw she's from Mexico city that's her stage okay. name marion raw and i recorded some of that stuff on her record she's on uh, devil in the woods some Mexican label yeah. it's pretty cool um okay, so yeah check we, it out. we tried to hop on with her for a couple of shows and just had to put it together but the plan is next time to I'd, I'd love to go outside of Mexico City because that is the only other place my family's from Cuernavaca, which is about 45 minutes south I was
0: just there man that's the only city I've been to outside of Mexico <laughs> City go. because it's, <laughs> close. it's super pretty. close
1: it's like 45 yeah. minutes right and it's like kind of where people go from the city to kind of like decompress sometimes too. So yeah, that's where my family's from. So that's the only two places I've been at in Mexico. I want to really try Guadalajara. Well, I want to try Monterey. I want to try going down to Puebla, Le- uh, Leon, and all these other spots. And I think that's what I'm going to be working on for next year for sure.
0: Yeah, man, I, I love it. Um, I was just watching a. I, I'm reading the book Rum Diary, uh, Hunter mm-hmm. S. Thompson. You mm-hmm. ever read that book? And then my I just watched the movie last.
1: I left. So, oh, yeah.
0: what a gem! But the way he paints, like the the old town of San Juan. It just makes me so, so jacked up to get down to Latin America again.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a vibe definitely for sure. I think my, my, my partner and I, we went to Cuba a couple years ago and that vibe was interesting too. And like, we've gone to like, um, we just went to Costa Rica. So it's like, you know, I, I, I want to explore more of Latin America and some other Caribbean places too. So it, I would it, think
0: Costa Rica would have a rock and roll scene
1: they probably do i mean we were we were by the beach like we purposely let's go by some beaches and just chill out you know there's definitely a big old you know reggaeton thing how still happened in there as far as music uh maybe in some other parts of the city but we are we were by the beaches for the most part but yeah i mean i'm trying to, that's what i'm trying to do i'm trying to make some friends some connections and like help not just me get down there but other people there should be an exchange you know because yeah uh that's the other thing about going to mexico city for me was like there's absolutely no reason there's like not a floor, freer exchange of musicians between that town and L.A., for example. I mean, we're closer to Mexico City than, than we are to New York and from L.A., so there's no reason there shouldn't be more of a pipeline to each other's music, you know, so. Yeah,
0: well said. I mean, it, it does feel like some sort of rock and roll outpost, you know. Yeah. Um, Four-hour flight from Chicago or L.A., yeah, so. it's amazing. Yeah, big time. Yeah. What about, um, just kind of thinking back on your... Uh, on your chronology of being on the road and putting out records, any like really landmark tour stories stand out as like total hilarious disasters, weird moments, <laughs> complete fuck ups, uh, moments where you wanted to call the game and quit? Um, any, any, <laughs> any highlights or lowlights that are fun?
1: Um, there's, there's a lot. I mean, I remember Bonnaroo was one of the funniest things that happened was playing Bonnaroo, and, uh, Halfway through, I said, I think we're doing something cool because the audience just like starts roaring. I'm like, oh, shit, they must have liked that part or that change or whatever. And then after the song or whatever, someone told me that <laughs> there was a naked guy climbing the, the lighting rig and like fell off. And so <laughs> the whole gasp was like just people watching him fall. from the, he, He's okay, just broke a leg or whatever. But God, some naked guy on acid. Or mushrooms uh so that made that trip pretty fun um but you know we have a lot of video of some weird stuff happening but i'm trying to remember anything particularly funny that might have happened um besides your normal thing one kind of terrifying thing was driving to madison for some show with the um oh, i can't remember their name now but
0: madison wisconsin
1: yes nice in the winter so we were seriously going like three miles an hour for like five hours or something and it was and we had a gps thing that with my computer hooked up and that's the only way we actually got to where we're going because you couldn't see any anything on the road besides white like it was just in this it was really terrifying for a little while because like we don't know where we're going we're just trusting this gps to take us where we're supposed to go we made it but i remember that was one of the, like the things like, damn, we've never had to deal with snow ever in California, and that was insane. Especially because you would see, like, I, I remember one of those winter trips. Um, you know, we we were like on, going like ten miles an hour again because was super like slippery and icy and shit. And we see some car with like a U-Haul like going twenty or thirty. It's like, okay, and then like five minutes later, you see them jackknife on the side of the road. Oh yeah, it's like all these cars jackknifed, and it's like, woof Like the I don't miss the um, the scary traveling that we did through certain certain areas. And some of the interactions with them, the cops because i i'm still pretty surprised i don't know how much of a pg podcast this is but i'm kind of surprised how much weed we traveled with post 9-11 like thinking back now i was like why did i even think that was cool or possible to do that because i remember leaving las vegas being in the back seat with a bunch of weed like just rolling this big fat joint ready for the ride for the next place and then my 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 bass player or whatever it's like he's driving and he fails to tell me that we're entering a checkpoint because we're going through the hoover dam and he's yeah. like oh hey we're at the checkpoint and I was like what and like i got all this stuff and you know like what, what am i gonna do and like i'm just holding all this weed and like these uh and they just circle the van with the with the <laughs> with the dog and nothing happened and i was like wow you know what? i don't understand how we did this but uh um we got pretty lucky the last thing i'll say is like uh I think the one thing that distracted the dogs is that we had a grease-powered van. So one cool thing that we did for touring in 2005, we converted our van to run on grease. We had a diesel van, luckily. So we found out with a diesel van, you can convert those to grease or to run on grease. And so there's a spot in L.A. that did that. We did it for like like $1,500, $2,000 or whatever, which for us was a lot to do, but we did it. And that was the year that gas went up to like four something or whatever because of the uh, Iraq War, and and uh, and uh, we calculated that we saved like six thousand bucks just on gas. Oh shit! And so you know that was pretty crazy because our system was pretty insane. We had a hundred gallon tank in the back, um, so we had a trailer obviously because we couldn't put our instruments back there. So a hundred gallon tank in the back. We also had five gallon jugs like those kind of from restaurants or whatever, like about yeah. 10 of those just like as like extras so at any given point we'd have like 150 gallons of um you know space for 150 gallons of, of, of grease so what we'd have, to, we'd have to do is we had a system we'd go into every town <clears throat> through the computer because this is the early days of the computer too but we um we found all the Asian restaurants especially Japanese restaurants because uh, to get the proper grease, you don't go to Waffle House, you don't go to KFC, you don't go to Denny's, no, never go to an American place, because that grease is the worst, nastiest grease you'll ever see uh. in your life. But Asian spots, Thai spots, and particularly Japanese spots, they use their grease, their, their oil once, and then dumped it out, like you're supposed to. Yeah. And so, like, their their oil was, like, pure honey, like gold you know then it was like it was like every gallon basically was a gallon of, of, of regular gas wow so we would always uh, make a little okay here's like six japanese places let's hit them up in order And we would and by the end of that we would have all our like 150 gallons of gas so
0: and they give it to you for free well
1: well so the problem with that was that there's sometimes where there was a, a language barrier so when we mm-hmm. would get like not caught but you know we would start taking it like they ask what we're doing. We're like actually relieving them of a of a bill later because they would get charged to get it taken away. So we were actually yeah. helping out, but it was hard to explain all that and a bunch of greasy looking dudes so we would just basically go at night and so nothing was locked up it's just going to their trash basically yeah, so it's right next yeah. to their trash. Just big old like big old barrels yeah uh, gall- like we oh, were shit. we had a thing we had music that we played like a soundtrack because we were like like, like like grease hunters you know like just grease trappers and uh we'd see okay there's there's trash okay there's three barrels right there we just like God fucking damn. gun it and go over there and put on our fucking <laughs> outfits we had a grease outfit to make sure we didn't get all fucking all fucked up because after the first run we really realized we can't be like wearing regular clothes yeah our little our little filtration system we had like a fucking we had a whole system that made it really int- <laughs> i'm really uh, thankful for those guys because they like they did a lot of weird shit, but we saved some money and we we're able to get hotel rooms so it's one of those things you have to kind of figure out and and it saved us money and that was one way we were able to do it and we got hotel rooms because of it so damn it
0: cool. did it smell shitty or like nah, was it everything
1: it wasn't no. bad because we like i said we didn't go to the crappy places you go to you get you get Crappy oil, like from Waffle House. Well, you can even do that. It it would smell bad. But the Japanese stuff was the best, man. The Japanese had the best grease, God dude. Damn. It was just like pure honey, man. It's like so clean, so pure. Smell like like light French fries, just like for a little Beautiful. bit. Beautiful. How,
0: how far can you drive on a gallon of grease? <laughs> Same as the gallon of gas. No shit. So
1: we would do that. Basically, why isn't with, this
0: more popular? Well, Is it shit for the environment?
1: Um, no, not necessarily that. I think it was just you know it only worked because we were the ones doing it so if everyone was doing that there'd be no grease left over probably for most of the things it'd be monetized a little differently i don't know mm-hmm. um also i think now i've heard that it's harder to get like now that stuff's locked away because like, people yeah. know that it's kind of worth money or whatever but um we you know we we had J- jp was our uh little brain brain dude brainy dude with some ideas like that and he and it paid off that time for sure and yeah we had to get a little dirty for it but There's no feeling like running, pulling into a town, and basically filling up a tank that you know would have cost you four hundred bucks. So like, um, or getting enough gas that was like four hundred. We calculated it was like four hundred dollars worth of a a full, a full load, and then we're like, you know, going to eat somewhere cool and get get a hotel room. It's like it it was worth it for that.
0: Dude, that's, like, the most DIY shit I've ever heard. Yeah. That's amazing, you know? Yeah, this is Living video. on the land, Joel.
1: I got an EPK that's on YouTube somewhere for Dios. It's called Dios EPK, and there's, like, a little section on that process. So you can see us, like, actually scoping out the grease, going to it, filtering it, putting it in, and so it's pretty funny.
0: <laughs> I remember watching the movie Double Dragon as a kid, and they had a car that ran on trash, so they would just go to, like... <laughs> right. But I don't think that's a real thing. They would just, like, burn trash. And it would
1: well, that was, like, uh, Back to the Future, too. Remember they did that? In the when, and, and number two, the DeLorean ran on trash at that point. They oh, was it? Yeah, a banana okay. A peel and some, and some eggs. Yeah, it's funny.
0: Oh, Double Dragon stole that shit. Yeah. Nice, man. Well, um... Thanks for coming on the pod. You're a sweet dude. He, I really it. easy peasy to talk to. It's always a relief to me when, uh, when you when you just uh, can kind of let let you run and uh, you're you got interesting stories and uh, and a smooth delivery, smooth <laughs> cadence. Well,
1: I'll tell you, uh, you you got a you got a knack for this. You're actually pretty good too. I've I've done this a few times with other people, but uh, you you seem like the real deal with it. You just keep it keep <laughs> doing it. Sounds good. Should be on radio.
0: Thanks, Joel. Um, What's what's a project you're working on right now we could steer some people to? I mean,
1: uh, Joel, Jerome, Joel Jerome, or you can just go to Joel, joeljerome.com um, is where all my stuff is at. But my latest record, Superflower Blood Moon, uh, is out. Mm-hmm. And the uh, new extended version of the record, which has some live cuts of, with a full band, because the record itself is pretty um, sparse. But, um, minimal, but, uh, I did a version of the record sort of with the whole band. And so we released some of that stuff that just came out. Oh, and, nice. Uh, okay. I'll probably do a full blown live recording of the stuff over the break right now. And then Brilliant. hopefully that'll come out next year and some shows.
0: Uh, yeah, I should make a side note. You put out this record quite a while ago of, of like obscure Beck covers and uh-huh. made like, like stu- studio recordings, kind of psychedelic rock versions. I think that is just a fucking amazing record. Um, yeah. You guys should you guys should listen to that if you're listening and and pull pull a record off Joel's website bypass the middleman yeah go to Bandcamp bypass camp. that's cool yeah got everything bypass Donnie and Jeff and Elon and uh, go straight <laughs> yeah. to the man himself exactly. Joel Jerome well cool brother much love much respect Appreciate and I'll uh, give you a shout next time in uh, Los Angeles would love to see your uh, your studio
1: oh yeah anytime.